I'm Mike Sibley, leader of the James Moore Manufacturing Team. On this episode of Moore on Manufacturing, we're joined once again by Scott Thomas, CFO at James Moore & Company and leader of our outsourced CFO services. On this episode, Scott and I are going to talk about the connection between operations and finance, why it's important for operational data to be consistent with financial results, and then some tips on how to make this happen. So, Scott, thank you for joining us once again, and welcome to the to the program today. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, I, I must have done something right last time that you invited me back from uh, our first session together. Well, of course. I mean, I, I think your insight is always always valuable, and I think getting both of our perspectives on on this this is a really I think it's a really important topic. You and I have talked over the last few months of just situations we've seen and shared some examples of, you know, you've got finance, which often seems like it's on an island of its own. There are these historians and sometimes they're not as they're not out there being proactive and helping and working through the future. A lot of times they're just historians and they're reports oriented or they're just trying to fill in, check the boxes to say, hey, we're done for the month. But then you've got the operations departments and, you know, out there and the various departments, they're functioning and they think they know what's going on, but none of that necessarily jives with what finance is saying. And so this is where we say, you know, this is where we talk about the fact that operations has a has a story to tell. So, you know, I think it's just a really important topic to get into. So, you know, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you a little bit and just kind of talk about what, what are we really talking about when we mean connecting operations to finance? Well, I, I think it really depends a lot on on a word that you mentioned in the opening of perspective. So we're sharing mm -hmm. our perspectives, but operational data means different things to different people depending on their perspective. And you know, from from my background, coming from a, a CFO perspective and, and the finance and accounting world, as, as well as yours coming from a finance and accounting, we think of it in terms of financial statements. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if, you, if you take a step away from financial statements into a different part of the finance and accounting organization, you might be thinking about cash or cash flow uh, or mm -hmm. financing decisions. Uh, but if you, if you move over to the quote unquote operational side, there's a lot mm -hmm. of different uh, perspectives within operations. It could be from the sales team perspective, it's about how many units are you actually able to, to get contracted for? Uh, regardless mm -hmm. of whether those those units are are delivered, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> from the operations perspective, you're thinking about capacity utilization, raw materials supply, uh, supply chain challenges, supply costs, uh, inventory, inventory management, and I think when all of that comes together in the financial statements, you may end up getting a different perspective than what you might have if you're on the manufacturing floor and think you're doing one thing as opposed to what shows up in the financial statements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, and that's and that's one of those things where oftentimes you see the silos, right? And you've got this silo and that silo and that silo and all working. And, you know, you've, you might even have leaders within the silos and they've got to work their way up the silo before it kind of goes across and, and you don't necessarily have that communication that's really kind of working together. Uh, so I, one of the things that I, I tend to like is when you get these team financial reviews and things like that, so you can actually see what's going on. But kind of to your point, you know, what I, what I often see is things like, you know, margins, 
you know, you got your engineers who think margins are one thing, and then, you know, your financial shows something different. And so, you know, it's, it's how do you connect those two together and why, why are they, why are they different? And, you know, it's, it's like, you think, you know, what your costs are, but do you really know your costs? Well, again, it goes back to, to perspective and, and also definitions. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as, as you were talking through that, I was thinking about, uh, you may have seen the, these classic pictures where if you look at it from one perspective, you see a horse's head and another perspective, you see a, an, an elderly woman. And right. it, it's really about kind of how you look at, at the problem or, or whatever is presented to you. So uh, if from the shop floor, you may think that your margins are, are X, but you may not be fully, you may not be fully appreciating what goes into the perspective from the financial statements where your assumption for what margin is is maybe based on what your uh, initial assumptions were on capacity utilization of the equipment when you bought it. And mm-hmm. again, back from operational perspective, your actual utilization may be higher or lower than what you're assuming when you're doing your back of the envelope uh, perspective of what margin is. The The other uh, piece mm-hmm. is you, you, may be, you may not be fully appreciating what the, what the depreciation cost is of the equipment. And mm-hmm. uh, if you have equipment that that from an operational perspective, you're getting a lot more years out of it than you've depreciated, then you can have another sort of uh, distinction between the financial data and the operational data. And I think it's important to have really open lines of communication between the operational folks and the financial folks so you can understand that uh, you have different perspectives. And it's not that either perspective is wrong. It's just understanding what the definitions are in in the information you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I think that's yeah. It, it's it's definitely what is driving the data set that's making you make a conclusion one way or the other, right? So you've got data that's coming in. Is it the right data? Is it the wrong data? You know, but you, you know, you just you, you mentioned something that I think is actually kind of pretty important, though, is you talked about ROI. Well, you're alluding to ROI on okay, we, we get a machine, we go out and we buy this machine. How do you you know how, how do you look at ROI on that? What what makes it what makes it worth it? Right. So yeah, I think when when you're ideally when you're making the decision to purchase a machine, you're making some assumptions on how it will be utilized. <laughs> and how mm-hmm. long it will be utilized and what the costs are to operate. And so you start thinking mm-hmm. in terms of average cost of production, uh, but you mm-hmm. also need to think about marginal cost of production. And there's there's a number of variables that go into that, but uh, I think as we've all seen, you know, whenever you make assumptions prior to making a decision, inevitably those assumptions are wrong. Hopefully they're, they're close enough and get mm-hmm. you within the ballpark. Uh, but it, it's oftentimes valuable to go back and revisit those assumptions down the road, and you get get really two outcomes from revisiting those uh, decision or the those assumptions. One is you can validate whether you you have good assumptions going in, and you can understand kind of how good of a decision it was. It also helps to inform your future decision making, so that you can say, well, okay, we were really off on our assumption for ca- capacity utilization in the first couple of years. Well, why? Well, mm-hmm. it may be that uh, in order to get the new piece of equipment installed and integrated into our supply or manufacturing chain, uh, it cost us more or we had more delays. And maybe we should ask more questions 
about how to implement it. And so there may have been some unforeseen costs that went into that um, that you can then bake into to future decision making. Sure. So, you know, as I think about all this and we talk about, okay, so what, why is all this important? Well, I think, you know, and, and I'll let you expand on it, but at the end of the day, people are making decisions about how to operate the business. And you're make and you're making these decisions based on something that may or may not ultimately be accurate, right? So I'll let you take it from there, but that's that's kind of the end of the day why this is so important. Well, I, I, I agree. And I think in a in an ideal world, everybody within the organization is making decisions in the best interests of the company. And part right. part of what makes organizations successful are the different points of view and the different uh, realms of expertise within the organization. And so you may have an engineer who is an expert on manufacturing um, setup and, and, and supply, uh, whereas you may have a financial expert that's an expert on the best way to finance that piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. And those two individuals may not speak the same language, but it's up to all of us to kind of get in the same room and share all those perspectives. The mm-hmm. example I, I kind of keep going back to is the what I, I kind of term it an age-old example of the, the the salesperson versus the credit officer or the, or the credit department. And the salesperson's perspective is, I want to do what the best thing is for the company, so I need to sell more. Mm-hmm. And the credit person may have the point of view of, I want to do the best thing for the company, so I don't want to have any write-offs for our accounts receivable. Both are correct. Well, not entirely correct. Both have the right, the best of intentions to do what's best for the company. But at some point, there's there's a happy medium between the two of selling as much as you can within the context of acceptable credit losses, and um, it keeps going back to the the underlying value of communication and what I'll call productive conflict, and and mm-hmm. not focusing too much on a single data point and bringing in as many data points as possible in order to get the full picture to go back to you know, best decision making. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I, I definitely agree with that. But, you know, one of the things I find is problematic, and, and I'm sure you've been in a room where you're talking about financial stuff to non-financial people and the eyes kind of glaze over and they're just shaking their head because they're going, I, I have no idea what you're, you're really saying right now. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I, I know I've, I've worked on with clients, I'm sure you've worked on, is first we got to kind of bring up the financial literacy to a degree to make sure people understand when we're talking about these different financial components that we're all on the same page. And then we can go down, we can go to their point of view and help them start making those connections with what they're doing. So I don't know how much you've experienced that that sort of educational need, so to speak. Well, yes, and I think you know a good a, a good way to facilitate that is talking through specifics or or talking through examples. So uh, one example that you can think through is the perspective on inventory, mm-hmm. and from from the the manufacturing line perspective, inventory mm-hmm. is viewed as an asset. Mm-hmm. When from a financial perspective, inventory can end up being a liability. And there's there's a, a lot of times, even though from an accounting perspective, it's an asset. So right. uh, I've, I've already contradicted myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm in this example, 
talking through the importance of having open lines of communication, explaining what you mean when you talk about things. So uh, just within the realm of accounting and finance, inventory, you can spend a lot of time kind of figuring things out and creating a lot of distortions that the operational folks don't fully appreciate or, or understand. And things I'm talking about is just methodology for valuing inventory and methodology mm -hmm. for the cost at which you utilize or sell your inventory uh, can end up, you can have someone uh, on the operational side saying, well, you know, we liquidated all our inventory. So, you know, we should have made tons of tons of money um, or we sold it all at a, at a loss because they, they don't necessarily appreciate that over time, the accounting folks are revaluing that inventory of, at the lower of cost or net realizable value. Uh, and that's a right. very specific term within, within GAAP that needs mm -hmm. to be explained to the operational folks, but mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want the accounting requirements or financial reporting requirements to prevent you from making good operational decisions, which again, right. is the importance mm -hmm. of having good communication and education. And you know, as much as we're talking about the need for operational folks to be educated on financial statements. I think more times than not, the accounting and finance professionals need education from the operational perspective so they can have the, the best presentation of the financial operate the, the finances of the operations. Well, that's a good point. And one of the things that I work on is, you know, oftentimes manufacturers will focus on you talk about lean and, and things like that, and is they work they work on the production side of things, but the accounting side usually needs a lot of work itself. Because one of the things that I like to see is say, all right, our, our accounting folks, our financial folks, it's great you're historians. Let's try to get that out of the way as fast as possible, so you can go spend time with our operational guys helping them do some of this stuff mm -hmm. and understand and and give an example. Oftentimes, when I see problems in things like bills of material, so bill of material, right? You have your material costs, you have your labor costs. You have your overhead costs and they're using some overhead factor and you're like, well, where did you come up with that? Well, and, you know, they don't there's not there's a lack of understanding of overhead. In fact, sometimes a lot of times you can talk to the finance people and there'll be differences of opinion of what overhead is. And so you look at, you know, indirect and then you've got your SG&A costs and it can be very confusing to come up with all these fully loaded costs. But on the other hand, you see where it's, you know, hey, I came up with this cost 10 years ago. Well, that's great. A lot of things have changed since then. <laughs> right. And, and that's yeah. when it's incumbent upon the, the financing accounting professionals to, to test their, their own assumptions. Just like we were talking earlier about the assumptions about return on investment. Uh, I think it's mm -hmm. important to have a, a regular and routine revisiting of assumptions, uh, particularly as it relates to overhead allocation, because if, if you're using a, a, a stale number without going back mm -hmm. and validating it, I, I remember in a previous company I worked for, we had a rule of thumb that you know, every dollar of salary or uh, hourly hourly wages, we added 50% to it because that was the overhead allocation. And uh, it turns out that as our operations changed and mm -hmm. we had more and more highly paid in individuals, that number actually from you know, the 2005 to 2015 Time frame went from it was probably at the time 55 percent went down to 42 percent mm -hmm. and 
did it really change a lot of decision making? Was it good enough from a rule of thumb based on how we were costing a, an individual seat or a new employee? Not really, but uh, you know, without having taken a look at it, we couldn't really validate that the fifty percent number was was a good number. Well, but you know, and, and now you look at it, and it's more important than ever to reevaluate those things because, and, and all of your assumptions that go into because we've got rising prices and we've got uh, across the board your overhead, you know, various overhead items are going up, labor rates are going up, benefits are being looked at, all sorts of things are changing fast right now because you know what manufacturers are dealing with is labor shortages, supply chain issues costing issues that are going up. They're they're constantly getting their vendors coming at them. So they're trying so trying to make sure that when you're looking at doing price increases, you're making it based on good solid information as opposed to outdated assumptions. Because then what ends up happening, I've you know I'm working with some right now where it's where it's saying, okay, what what does it actually cost us to do this so we can make sure our pricing is going to produce the margins that we should be producing or we feel we should be producing because at the end of the day, Owners want to make a net profit that makes sense, right? And and not do all of this so to get you know to lose money or be break even, and and so that's where it, probably now more than ever, given the pace of change, it's it needs to be looked at. Well, I, I think it's also important to think about something you just mentioned, which is profit, but mm -hmm. profit can be expensive, uh, and what I mean by mm -hmm. that is you can have tons and tons of paper profit but no cash. And we talked a little right. bit about that back in December when we were talking about the importance of forecasting and thinking mm -hmm. about things in terms of long-term forecasting, which is more of a, I call it kind of gap forecasting, and then an annual budget, mm -hmm. and then cash flow. And again, back to that communication between operations and finance, I think everybody needs to at least have the same understanding or common language about what things mean. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if you, if you buy a piece of equipment for $10,000, yes, that's, that might be $10,000 in cash. Um, or mm -hmm. we may make a financing decision that we're going to get a loan for that. So then now we have debt service that goes into the, to the P and L. Um, and right. then you also have, if it has a, you know, a 10 year life, I'm charging a thousand dollars a year of depreciation against that. Uh, but if in mm -hmm. year 11, I'm using it, I don't have that depreciation expense, but I still have potentially, you know, depending on how I finance it, did I finance it uh, on a 10 year note or did I finance it with equity? Uh, so mm -hmm. You can see how you can quickly get into a, a lot of details that really require a lot of communication and making sure that folks understand what we're talking about. Well, and that's, and that's, Exactly right. And I, you know, I'll take it one step further. And we, you, you mentioned this earlier, inventory can be a liability. Well, I'll tell you where inventory can be problematic is if you have too much of it and there goes all your cash. Right. And, you know, so you talk about one of the major things is working capital and what do you need to, to run? So you, you talk about communication, you need your purchasing people to make sure they're getting vendor terms that are, you know, make sense from a payables because you're going to buy the material. You got to get the material in. You got to produce the product get the product shipped, then collect it from the customer. So you might have a 90-day turnaround, say, for example, but have vendor terms of 30 days. And so, you know, 
you've got a big disconnect on cash and how do you bring those together? So you've got to work with your purchasing. You've got to work with your operations. You've got to work with your sales team on, on those collection rates and all of those different things that have to come together to say, hey, if we're going to have positive cash flows here, we got to all be on the same page with that. Right. And I, I think just because you have 30-day customer payment terms and 90-day and uh, you know, customer terms and 30-day vendor terms, that not, isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're aware of it and you can plan mm -hmm. for it. And you're all, sure. and, and in the context of if you're growing, what does that mean to your cash position? Can you afford to grow? And, right. and what are what are the levers you can pull in order to generate the cash you need in order mm -hmm. to finance that future profit you're looking to to realize? But, you know, but you need the entire team working together to make sure all that floats right, because uh, you're right, that might work, but it could really possibly strain the business, especially if you're in growth mode for that cash, unless you've got, you know, the right capital and things like that. So you, you got to really be working together. So let's talk about this as kind of the final piece before we. So, you know, assuming we've got a situation where our operational data isn't necessarily matching up with our finance data. What do you do to bring that together? How do you how do you start working through that to, to start getting these connections working? I, I think first it starts with culture and creating a culture or an environment or whatever word you want to put on it where people are willing to ask questions. And um, mm -hmm. you can have a situation where somebody from the operational side will comes and says, well, clearly the financial statements are wrong. Uh, because I know we mm -hmm. made money and I've heard that before. And then mm -hmm. you need to have folks on the finance side that are willing and open and receptive to challenges and questions because mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a number of potential explanations for why the operational individual thinks there might be something wrong. It, yep. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the, the simplest answer is, is uh, or the, the most obvious answer is actually the answer to the to the problem. It could be the financial statements are wrong. Uh, despite mm -hmm. despite how talented we all are in the finance and accounting world, we sometimes occasionally make mistakes. Um, what? <laughs> and oh, and, and so about. yeah, that's that as much as anything is 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 the a critical reason why you want to have this open and trusting uh, environment where people are willing to communicate. But it could mm -hmm. be back to some of the things we were alluding to earlier. It could be accounting methodology or presentation of the financial statements where the operational individuals may not fully appreciate the difference between cash accounting and accrual accounting. And mm -hmm. there could be differences on, um, you know, as we talked about with inventory, where, uh, you know, in, a, in an inflationary environment, having inventory can be very, very valuable. Um, but in, in a deflationary environment, it could be very expensive to have that. And having the perspectives on that, I think is gonna be important and having that culture where you do have a regular dialogue. And uh, there's, a, there's always a challenge, particularly in privately held companies about confidentiality and mm -hmm. open and, and transparent communications within the organization and being able right. to strike a balance between those two so that you're not 
divulging too much confidential information at risk of your, your competitors understanding what you're doing, um, but sharing enough that you have uh, a, an environment of transparency that gives people the information they need in order to ask the questions to, to challenge and, and get to the, the ultimately to the best answer for the organization. Well, uh, yeah, I agree 100% because that builds into kind of how I would take that one step further. And I actually just, I'm working with a client now where, you know, both the accounting was incorrect and the operational data was incorrect. <laughs> and so there were, so nothing really matched up. So we just got all, all of us together said, okay, let's work through this. We got to get our inventory costs updated in your bills of material. We got to get labor. We got to understand what it takes to produce a ball, you know, all that stuff. Then on the finance side of things, we had to pull together. What is our overhead pool? What is our labor cost? What is it? How is this coming together so we could consistently get our margins working together in the same place and then get to a point where we can track this going forward? And that's where I see a lot is saying, okay, let's work together. Let's look at the data you're using. Let's look at how we're, what we're doing and let's make sure we're consistent with the methodology of the, of the gathering. And then every, every month or whatever interval, make sure we're in the same ballpark with right. each other. So that way we're, we're consistent and we don't have errors coming out of the data. We don't have some outdated data that's being used or something missed on the finance side that's creating these differences. And that's how I ultimately kind of see it coming to, starting to get joined together, if that makes sense. Yes, and I think you know, back to the, to the culture piece, um, in, a, in a prior uh, place that I worked, uh, our, our VP of technology, was was a huge proponent of something that he termed failure celebrations, and you know, you think that's a little bit of an oxymoron. Failure celebration. Why do you celebrate failures? Well, uh, and he and I spent a lot of time talking about it. And we participated together in a lot of failure celebrations. Is you get everybody in a room together to talk about things mm -hmm. that are wrong or mistakes you've mm -hmm. made, and. Okay. Yeah, that's a little bit of what we're talking about here. Is if there's a disconnect between the operational data and the, the financial data, then let's get everybody in a room and, and celebrate these differences. And that, you know, you want to spin it positively. And you're, you're, talk, you're right. talking about the, the data and the information and it's not personal. And uh, mm -hmm. whenever we had a problem with the failure celebration, it was because we allowed individuals to make it about other people. Uh, and we really advanced the organization a lot by having these quote unquote safe spaces for people to talk through problems. And right. the process was, and this is a little bit on, on the lean Six Sigma is asking why over and over and over again. And, and Curtis used to talk about ask, ask why six times. And by the sixth time mm -hmm. you've gotten down to that root cause of the problem. And rarely is it, a single root cause of a problem, and um, you're identifying multiple areas for improvement in the organization, whether it be on the finance side or the operational side. Right now, and I, and I agree. And we use that in working with clients on the lean side of things. Uh, uh, you know, you ask why the, we kind of jokingly call it the toddler <laughs> method. Just keep asking why. <laughs> Oftentimes, the answer was, you know, because that's the way we've always done it, or you know, something like that, which. Once you do it, once you get that off and you get it out of somebody's personal, you know, they're not defensive about it. And then, you know, you're able to to work on it. So I think that's a great point and having that culture, that openness. So, 
you know, I, I definitely think it's a great point. If you, if you can't do that, you're going to you're going to have a hard time getting getting through that. So. Um, so, Scott, I appreciate you, uh, you know, being on today uh, and coming back. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have many more sessions like this because I think I think these these kind of sessions are just really important to get get businesses and business owners and the leaders within the business on the same page and working together to solve some of these business problems. So I really appreciate you being Thanks here. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, everybody. And I uh, look forward to uh, future podcasts. Uh, so have a great day. To learn more about James Moore & Company's manufacturing services, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our More on Manufacturing series to receive updates when new videos and podcasts are released. If you'd like to be a guest or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, contact us on our website. You can also follow us on social media for more news as the landscape on manufacturing continues to rapidly evolve.